Welcome to the City on a Hill Church Forest Hills podcast. We exist to see our neighbors from every culture follow Jesus as King. We're glad you're here and thanks for listening. More information about the life and mission of City on a Hill can be found at coahforesthills.org. This morning, we have the honor and the privilege of, of hearing uh, Aaron Peters preach to us. As, as City on a Hill, Forest Hills, we are a part of a church planning network uh, here in Boston. Uh, churches connected together under the same name, under the same uh, values as a church of gospel, community, and mission. And, and in doing so, uh, we contextualize that to different neighborhoods. And so um, here in City, we're one of four congregations, uh, City on a Hill, Forest Hills. We also have congregations in Brookline, Somerville, and Brighton. And so uh, Pastor Aaron is doing an incredible work there in Brighton, um, reaching both um, uh, college students as well as those who live uh, and call Brighton home. And so um, he is going to be leading us through um, this, this passage this morning, Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 uh, through 37. So I'm going to read the scripture this morning. When I'm done, I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord. And then if you at home could say, thanks be to God. Starting in verse 33, it says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his, or for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, if you're new with us or just joining in, I want to welcome you. My name is Aaron Peters, and I serve as the lead pastor of City on a Hill Church in Brighton. And we are in week seven of our series entitled The Sermon on the Mount. Well, we're unpacking Jesus' most famous, but also his most misunderstood sermon. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching us what it means to flourish as humans what it means to be whole people. And right now we're in a mini-series within a series. Jesus is teaching here uh, what morality looks like when it's extended all the way into our motives and our intentions. And the last two weeks, he hit on anger and lust. And those are two things that all of us struggle with in one shape or form. And this week is on swearing oaths. <laughs> now on first look, you might say, good, after last week, I'm finally safe. But the heart of what Jesus is teaching us today convicts each and every one of us. The main idea for today is this. Half-truths prevent whole lives. Half-truths prevent whole lives. And with this passage, Jesus is getting to the heart of lying, causing us to ask these questions. Why do people lie? Why is it such a big deal about lying anyway? Or how do we become truthful people? And how does Jesus lead us into a life of truth-filled flourishing? So let's jump in by unpacking two of these points from the text today. Number one, the problem with half-truths, and number two, the path to whole lives. Now, a lack of faithfulness to our word and integrity to our lives is a huge problem in our world today, one that really has affected us all. And I bet that many of you this morning have been hurt by the lies and the untruths of others. Like, have you ever been in a serious relationship that ended because of unfaithfulness? Or maybe you had a friendship that, that had a falling out because of betrayal. 
Maybe even some of you had a parent or a guardian or someone close that never followed through with their commitments to you. It sounds all too familiar, right? All of us have had these experiences to one degree or another, the harmful lies and the untruths of others. And this has probably left many of you with trust issues today. This lack of, of truth and integrity that Jesus is teaching about here is a huge issue in our modern world, but it's an issue that has been around since the beginning. You know, as we recall from the book of Genesis chapter three, the serpent of lies, he comes to Eve and he deceptively whispers in her ear, did God really say not to eat from any tree of the garden? Surely not. Well, from the beginning, Satan sows lies into the very fabric of creation and humanity as God's creation, we believe these lies and we give into the deception, not believing God will be faithful to his word and therefore for our good. Well, this lie brought Adam and Eve hurt. It strained their relationship and most of all, it brought separation between them and God through this deception. Well, it should be no surprise that our world struggles with integrity keeping our word, speaking the truth, and living without deception. Why? Because it's been with us since the beginning. Well, in referring to this moment in history, Bible commentator John Murray provides this helpful note. Satan here directly assails God's veracity and truthfulness. He accuses God of deliberate, he accuses God of deliberate falsehood and deception by convincing Eve that God is holding back goodness and joy from her. This is one of the many reasons the Bible calls Satan in John chapter eight, the father of lies. Well, just like with Adam and Eve, one of the greatest destructive works in the life of a Christian and his church is to stir up falsehood and deception among us. I'm convinced that there's guys, there's almost no greater damage to the witness of the gospel in the world than when Christians say they know the truth of God, but lack the truth itself in our dealings with others. It mars the very truth we proclaim, friends, when we say that we know the truth-telling God, but we don't live as truth-telling people. John Murray concludes his note this way in saying that all truths have their roots with that lie in which Eve was seduced. Will God really be good to you, protect you, and provide for you? And it is here that we believe the untruths and tell untruths because we are either trying to protect our lives from harm or provide our lives some good. But as we saw in Genesis chapter three, the believing and telling of lies always brings hurt to others and harm to ourselves. So Jesus has come to us in this passage today to give us a better way, a way of flourishing, where he shows us the way that we were intended to live, where our word is true, where we speak what we believe, where we do what we say and we stick to what we said we do. We're faithful, we're vow keepers, and we're truth tellers. And in so doing, we live the way that God created us to live for our good and the good of others where both the hurt you've experienced and the hurt you've caused will find their hope and help and healing in Jesus. Well, in the passage we read, Jesus is speaking to an oral culture here, 
where in that day you didn't have legally binding documents where you'd write up a contract and where you'd sign to the agreed terms. No, and instead you'd actually just give your literal word to someone and your word would be treated as a legally binding document in and of itself. One that you could actually be held accountable for in those days and punished by if you didn't keep your word. So when Jesus is speaking into this culture this morning, we've got to recognize the power and the significance of words. When people take an oath, they would often do it in the name of like some higher power that they would say that they were hold accountable to if they didn't keep their word. And it's with this in mind that Jesus speaks to the crowd, calling out their lies and unfaithfulness that brings hurt to others. But he also here is comforting those who have been hurt by those lies and unfaithfulness. So church, this morning, let's lean in and let's see Jesus' invitation in this teaching for the forgiveness of our untruths, for the freedom from wanting to lie to cover up our failures and maintaining our image, and the invitation to flourish by trusting Jesus and walking in his ways that lead to our good and the good of others and the glory of God. So Jesus begins here in verse 33 with saying this, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord whatever you have sworn. Well, Jesus is summarizing a teaching from the Torah here, the first five books of the Old Testament that shaped the life of Israel and continue to shape our lives today as the church. Bible com commentator John Stott notes here that Jesus' words are not a word-for-word -word quotation of any one law, but rather an accurate summary of many Old Testament commands on oaths. These oaths were examples where the speaker calls upon God to witness his vow and to punish him if he breaks it. Well, some passages Jesus likely had in mind when saying this was said of old were like this. Maybe Deuteronomy 23, 2, where it says, If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. Or maybe Jesus was thinking Numbers 30, uh, verse 2. If a man vows to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Quite simply, these laws prohibit making a vow and then breaking it. And this is what Jesus is reminding his audience right there on the mount. Now, upon hearing this, his audience would have easily recalled these teachings of old, right? They may have expected Jesus to follow up these statements with something like, hey guys, good job. You're being honest with the oaths that you make in my name. You're following through on the promises made under my name. But that's not what Jesus does next. Instead, he doesn't commend them here, but rather he calls them out. In verse 34, Jesus says, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all. Well, what is Jesus doing here? Well, he's about to go down past the letter of the law into the heart of the law so that he can help the heart of people flourish in the truth as we were intended. And remember from the past several weeks that this is what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. Jesus is inviting us into a life of flourishing 
where God's heart for us as his creation is lived out in a way that's good for you and good for others. The life that he designed for all of humanity to live for his glory, a life of flourishing. And so the Sermon on the Mount is a picture of what God's heart looks like lived out amongst his people where we have embraced the righteousness of Jesus as our own, like the imputed righteousness of God to us. And now we begin to reflect that righteousness in such ways that exceed that of the Pharisees, fake external self-righteousness, and that leads to a life of flourishing and the flourishing of others. And so Jesus wants us to have this flourishing life. And he wanted it for them on the Sermon on the Mount as well. And so he begins to navigate a huge issue that permeates every culture and destroys the design of human flourishing, the sins of deception and lying and withholding for the facts for the betterment of ourself over another, things that I know, church, that have hurt you and tools that I know that we have used to hurt others. So Jesus says in verse 33, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have Sworn. Now, if you're like me, when you hear the word swear here, you normally think of swearing with profanity. But Jesus is talking about oaths and vows. He's talking about keeping your word. And Jesus is teaching us here that when we give our word to others, we are to keep it like we have made the vow with God himself. We are to perform our promises to others like we have committed them in a promise to God himself. So when you speak, church, we are to reflect the one in whose image we are made. We are to speak words that are true and right and good and honest. So I want you to reflect just for a moment here. Would others say this about you? Would others say that you speak and live this way? Your spouse, your friends, your roommates, your coworkers, would they say that you are honest and faithful to your word? Or do you tend to tell white lies and make up excuses for why you didn't do what you said you would? Well, unfortunately in our culture, the words and vows of people don't carry much weight, do they? So because of our pervasive lying, we, we try to evoke swearing to God, if you would, to, to show how serious we are when we are telling the truth. Because people rarely trust each other. We often hear this, I swear to God, that I'm telling the truth, or I swear on my life, cross my heart, and I hope to die, right? Well, we're referring to this reality, A.M. Hunter rightly notes this, that swearing like this is really a pathetic confession of our own dishonesty, isn't it? Why do we find it necessary to introduce our promises by some tremendous formula, like I swear to this or I swear to that? The only reason is that we know that our simple word is not likely to be trusted. So we try to induce people uh, to believe us by adding a solemn oath. In other words, he's saying oaths arise because people are so often liars. Just turn on the election debates or listen to people on the tee or maybe even peek behind the veil of your hearts. And you can probably see this there too. Well, now upon hearing this, some in the crowd on that sermon might have said, but hey, God, like, hold on a second, Jesus. Like, we don't swear to God. We swear to heaven and to earth and to Jerusalem and maybe even ourselves. So like, what's the big deal here if we're not swearing to God? And, and I love Jesus's words here because he essentially says, hey, guys, but that's the point. Like, you did swear to me in swearing to those things. 
because those things are not yours to swear to. Anything and everything in all of creation is mine, including you. The context here implies the kind of commitment and promise swearing that some of the Jewish leaders were caught up in and teaching to others. It appears that they were establishing like some elaborate system of loopholes detailing which kinds of oaths and commitments were binding and which ones were not. So that it became difficult to like ever take a person serious at the word or not. For example, in that day, they could take that Deuteronomy 23, 2, where it says, if you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay in fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require of you and you will be guilty of sin. They take that and they, they, they would twist the meaning of it. They take this law and focus on the formula used in making the vow rather than the command to keep the vow itself. So they say something like this. Well, if, if you don't make the vow to God or in God's name, then you aren't liable to keep your word. Only broken vows made to and in God's name will get you in trouble with God, they'd say. But listen, this is awesome here what Jesus does. They're about to get big time Jesus juked here and bust their metaphorical ankles at his truth handling skills. Okay, you ready? You got to check this out, okay? In verse 34, Jesus makes the formula by which one swears to completely irrelevant by what he says here. Jesus says in verse 34, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all. Ready? Okay, here we go. Here it is. Either by heaven for it is the throne of God, snap, well, there's one ankle, or by earth, for it is God's footstool, snap, there goes the other ankle, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, God himself. Snap, snap, and there goes the defender down on the ground, right? You know, if it was 2020 when Jesus taught this, he might've said, uh, hey bro, you can't just like lie to people because you avoided some reference to God by simply swearing to some other thing in the world, because guess what? The whole world is God's world, and you can't eliminate from Him, uh, you can't eliminate Him from it, or even one atom of it. The words of Abraham Cooper uh, ring so true here that there, that there is not a square inch in the whole dominion of our human experience over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, "Mine." Jesus is saying here: If you vow by heaven, it's God's heaven; it's His throne. If you vow by earth, it's God's earth. It's his footstool. If you vow by Jerusalem, it's God's Jerusalem. It's his city where his rules and his reigns live. Well, the crowd, after trying to collect themselves after the Jesus juke, are probably thinking, well, we'll find then, Jesus, since it's such a big deal to swear by things that you've created, I'll just swear by my own name. I'll swear by myself. And Jesus here, knowing their thoughts, I'm sure, he leans in, he smiles, and says in verse 36, and do not take an oath by your head, for you can't even make one of your hairs white or black. Basically, he says to them, and hey guys, oh, by the way, I own you too. You are made indeed in my image. Saying crowds don't miss the point here. Don't miss the point either today, friends. It's not about what you swear to that matters. It's about who you reflect in your truthfulness that does. Jesus is saying here, reflect my trueness, my rightness, my goodness, and my honesty. This is the way of flourishing for you and for others. 
the path that leads us away from using lies to hurt others, and the one that restores your reflection to God's character and the relationship with others. Then Jesus concludes this teaching in verse 37 saying this, so that, so let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Boom, done, right? Game seven, right? Game over. Jesus wins. He drops the mic and he walks off the cord, right? Or does he? It's really interesting here. It it seems like he just leaves them there, exposed in their brokenness of heart, calling them out for their hurtful lies and untruths to their word. Where's the hope and the help to change? Where's the healing for those who have really been hurt like us by the lies and truths of others? Does he not care? Well, he actually doesn't leave them there. He cares too deeply for them and for you. He picks us up this theme of truth speaking and word keeping in Matthew chapter 26. And he does something for me and for you in this place that's amazingly powerful. It's towards the end of Jesus' life, and Jesus is standing before the high priest of the day, and he's being unjustly treated and falsely accused. And the high priest says to Jesus, I adjure you by the living God. Now there's the oath that he's entering Jesus into. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus, being truth himself, says to him, You have said so. And there's the truth that Jesus brings. And he continues it. He says, but I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest, he tore his robes and he said, he has uttered blasphemy. What further witness do we need? We have heard his blasphemy now. What is your judgment? And they answered, He deserves death. Jesus tells the truth here, and it costs him his life. Well, then the story takes a really interesting shift over to Peter. And it's as if that it's to serve as a contrast to Jesus's truth speaking and word keeping. You know, Peter was there that day on the Sermon on the Mount, and he's here now acting as the representative and reflection of our hearts when we feel the shame of failure or the pain of shortcomings. And just like Peter, we're going to find out that we also will lie to help ourselves from looking bad and to lie to help ourselves to look good. Let's read on Peter's account what happens here. Now, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came up to him and said, hey, you also were with Jesus, the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I don't know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him there. And she said to the bystanders, hey, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it. But check this out. He denied it with an oath, saying, I don't know this man. Well, after a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. And then listen to this. He began to evoke a curse on himself and to swear to God, saying, I do not know this man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me 
three times. And Peter went out and he wept bitterly. Do you see it here? Peter lies in an oath and even swears to God that he doesn't know Jesus. Where Jesus tells the truth and it cost him his life, Peter forsakes the truth and gets to keep his life. But now it's a life filled with guilt for him and shame for denying the truth of Jesus. And as verse 75 says, he weeps bitterly and then Peter abandons Jesus. Church, I want to point out a couple things here for your heart. You know, you know, Jesus knows the pain of a lie. He knows what it feels like to be betrayed by someone close to him who didn't hold up their end of the commitment. And church, Jesus went through this experience so that if you do as well, you would never be left there alone. For it's in that space that Jesus like really sees you and he deeply knows you and he invites you to trust in him where that trust in others has been broken. Jesus was trustworthy when his life was on the line so you can trust him when yours is as well. Friend, where you have been lied to and betrayed or taken advantage of and lost much, the invitation of Jesus is clear here. Come to him. And where what was lost to others in betrayal will be refilled in him to abundance. In Christ, our futures are sealed and they're kept and they're protected by a truth-telling, trustworthy God. And he promises to work in you pleasure from that very place of pain. You can trust him to bring healing to your hurts. It's really cool. Jesus doesn't stop here. No, it even gets better. Not only does he bring healing to the lies and loss that unfaithfulness brings, but he brings the hope and the help to lead us away from the desire to lie in the first place. See, where, where Peter abandoned Jesus, Jesus refused to abandon Peter in Peter's lies and unfaithfulness. Jesus did indeed pay the price for his own truthfulness before the high priest, but in so doing, check it out, he paid the price for Peter's truthlessness before God on high. Jesus is proving and providing here the antidote for us, the cure, if you would, for the deception and the unfaithfulness in our hearts that lead us to lie in the first place. See, for most of us, we often lie to make ourselves look good or to keep ourselves from looking bad. We lie to get ahead in the world, don't we? But we also lie to keep from loss in the world. We can't stand the idea of missing out, so we lie to gain. And we can't bear the idea of shame, so we lie to cover up that shame. And this is what Jesus is addressing with Peter in his own death. And he's doing it with you this morning. Listen, rather than covering up your failures and shortcomings with lies and untruths to protect yourself from the shame and exposure, let something bigger and, and better and fuller cover your guilt and shame. Let the death and burial of Jesus cover it. Let him hide your failure in his tomb. Let him cover up your guilt in his grave. And here Jesus's invitation is this for you. Let Jesus be exposed in shame in your place 
Let him cover your deepest shame and embarrassment for you. Do you see that he's already done this by bearing your shame in his nakedness on the cross and covered and your shame with his righteousness in the resurrection? Jesus has already seen the worst of you, friend. And you know what he did? He chose to love you and cover you and die for you in your place in the midst of it all. Church, you have been raised in his resurrection above your shame. Leave your shame and your guilt in the grave. And you know what? Leave your lies there as well. You don't need to cover up your shame and shortcomings. You are seen and you're loved in and through your failings. And God, like with Peter, will never give up on you. Church, guys, if you really get this, like deeply get this, this reality will free you to own your wrongs and to deal with them properly rather than lying about them. You will be able to speak the truth, even if it costs you shame, because the shame of Christ has bought you the freedom and the forgiveness and the love and the safety that you need to deal with your failure. So church, let me ask you these questions. Think about in your own heart, where do you struggle to tell the truth? Where are you unfaithful to your word? Are you reflecting the honesty of Christ in your job, like with your boss and your coworkers? You know, when you're asked, how are you doing in our church community? Do you dismiss the truth and respond with, I'm good, I'm fine? Or, you know, in your marriage for a moment, think about this. Do you struggle to be honest with your spouse? when you fail to do what you said you do. You know, P.S., make no mistakes about it here. This teaching on vows and honesty falls directly after the teaching on keeping our commitments in marriage and not to seek divorce and unfaithfulness. And last, let me ask you this. Are you committed to your community group like you said you would? Or do you treat them as a place to get something rather than a people to give something? You know, if you struggle to be faithful here or anywhere, would you please know this? You're not alone there. Jesus found Peter there and he finds you here there as well. And the good news for Peter is the same good news for you, that in Jesus, you can find the forgiveness that you need from the sins of untruths. You can find the forgiveness there. And in Jesus, you also find the freedom you need from the shame of your shortcomings that give birth to the lies in the first place. And not only that, but you can find flourishing where you were intended to experience by the way God made you, by trusting the ways of Jesus and walking as reflections of his trueness and his rightness, goodness, and honesty for your good and the good of others for the glory of God. Church, would you walk this way? Would you walk in the trueness and the reflection of God for your flourishing? Well, let's go before now, this truth-telling, this truth-living God, and ask for his empowering help through the Spirit to live this way. Let's pray with me now. 